Section 9 of The History of Minnesota and Tales of the Frontier, Part 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The History of Minnesota and Tales of the Frontier, Part 2, by Charles E. Flandrau. Section 9. Kissing Day. The Sioux Indian is an exceptionally fine specimen of physical manhood. His whole method of life tends to this result. He lives in the open air. He may be said to be born with arms in his hands. From the moment he is old enough to draw a bowstring, he commences warfare on birds and small animals. As he advances to manhood, he becomes familiar with the use of firearms and extends his warfare to the buffalo and the larger animals. He rides on horseback from infancy and excels as a daring horseman. He goes on the warpath when half-grown and learns strategy from the wolf and the panther. He is a meat-eater, which diet conduces to the growth of a lean, muscular, athletic frame and a bold and highly spirited temperament. He is taught to spurn labor of any kind as unmanly and only fit for women. His life occupation is, in the language of the old school histories and geographies, hunting, fishing, and war, in each and all of which accomplishments he becomes surpassingly expert. I attribute the superiority of the Sioux over many other tribes to their meal diet and their method of transportation, the horse. This peculiarity has been noticed by travelers and historians for many years. There is an old and true adage which says, We are what we eat. Washington Irving, in his Story of Astoria, says in regard to this subject, The effect of different modes of life upon the human frame and human character is strikingly instanced in the contrast between the hunting Indians of the prairies and the piscatory Indians of the seacoast. The former, continually on horseback, scouring the plains, gaining their food by hardy exercise, and subsisting chiefly on flesh, are generally sinewy, tall, meagre, but well-formed and of bold and fierce deportment. The latter, lounging about the river-banks, or squatting or curved up in their canoes, are generally low in stature, ill-shaped with crooked legs, thick ankles, and broad flat feet. They are inferior also in muscular power and activity, and in game qualities and appearance, to their hard-riding brethren of the prairies. The general habits of the Sioux warrior tend to make him lordly, proud, and somewhat taciturn and morose, although he is not without a strong sense of humor. He is a good husband and an indulgent father, but not at all demonstrative in his affections. Very little billing and cooing is noticeable among the nearest relations and none between lovers. A kiss is regarded more as a ceremony than an endearment. In the natural and savage state of these people they counted time by moons and seasons, having no division of years, and of course knew nothing of our red-letter days of Christmas or New Year's but after the advent of the Christian missionaries among them they were taught to understand the meaning of New Year's Day, and to recognize its arrival, and to distinguish it they called it Kissing Day, everybody being expected to bestow a kiss upon his or her friends in honor of the day. In 1857 I lived among the Sioux, having them in charge as their agent appointed by the United States government, and when New Year's Day came around I found myself at the Yellow Medicine Agency but was ignorant of their peculiar ceremonies for the occasion. I proposed to make the best of my isolation from my kind and spend the day as pleasantly as circumstances would permit. 
While debating the subject of what to do, I was informed of the way the Indians celebrated the event, and told that I would probably be called upon by a numerous delegation of squaws, and that it would be expected that I should receive them by the bestowal of some sort of present. Not wishing to be ungallant, and desiring to gain information of the customs and manners of my savage wards, I ordered my baker to prepare several barrels of gingerbread, and purchased many yards of gaily-colored calico, which I had cut into proper pieces for women's dresses, and with this outfit prepared to meet the enemy. At this point I will say a word about the Sioux girl and woman. As a general thing, the very young girl is by nature pretty and attractive. I have seen many, at the age of thirteen and fourteen, who had graceful figures, good carriage, and very beautiful faces. But they marry very young, and as soon as married, become pack-horses for their husbands, carrying loads on their backs, by means of a head-strap across the forehead, that it takes two men to lift from the ground. And very often, when thus loaded, babies, puppies, and many other things will be put on top of the pack. They will trudge fifteen or twenty miles a day with this burden, bending forward and staggering under its weight. The result is to spoil the figure and gait, and deprive them of every semblance of beauty. The awkward walk, produced by this hard labor, we used to call the Dakota Shamble. Under this treatment they soon look old and become wrinkled, and are called Wakonkas, which might be translated to mean old witches. With this visitation in prospect, I awaited quietly their coming. About ten in the morning they began to assemble about the agency in groups of all sizes and ages. I could hear a great deal of giggling among the girls and scolding by the elder women. They were apparently selecting someone to break the ice by making the first assault. Presently, a venerable dame opened the door and sidled in like a crab. She approached me and kissed me on both cheeks and received her presence. Then they followed in a line old and young, pretty and ugly, each giving me a hearty kiss, which in some cases I returned with interest. The ceremony continued with great hilarity and much frolicsome tittering and fun, until forty-eight squaws had kissed and been kissed by me. They all carried off their presents and seemed very happy. Whether it was all caused by the presence or not, I am unable to say, but I was not the grizzled old fellow then that I have since become." I have celebrated a good many New Year's days, both before and since, but none have left a more agreeable impression than the one I have described. I have never known the exact figures of Hobson's Kansas experience, nor can I make a just comparison between the Sioux and the Kansas article, but from the general reputation of that state I would recommend the caress of the untutored Aborigines. If Hobson ever reads this story, he will have to admit that there were others. End of section 9